Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Onize Ohikeri. On the famine threatening the countries in the Horn of Africa. Earlier this year, like I said in March, people had started sounding the bell, groups like even Food for the Hungry, World Vision, and you know, they had started sounding the alarm that something major is happening here. And it was until we got to like the middle of this year where the UN cried out, you know, we're gonna have an explosion of child deaths if nothing is done. Onise Ohikeri, next. Magazine is reporting a deepening humanitarian crisis is gripping the Horn of Africa. Countries there are facing the worst drought in more than 40 years. Water sources have dried up, pastures have withered, and millions of livestock have died. These and other factors are forcing families to flee from hunger and travel hundreds of miles to larger cities for help. With us to discuss this crisis is Onise Ohikere, World Magazine's Africa reporter. Onise, first, tell us about your work for World and how you came to be based in Africa. Yeah, so uh, with World, I'm officially the well, African correspondent of sorts, covering mostly Nigeria, where I'm based, and the rest of Africa, reporting on major stories like you know what's going on in the Horn of Africa, but also on stories from the continent that people wouldn't get to hear otherwise. Um, so I actually studied in the Minnesota, in Minnesota State University, Moorhead. That's where I got my journalism degree, but I'm originally from Nigeria. Mm. So I left home to attend college mm. um, back in 2012, I think. Uh, yeah, back in 2012, attended college and um, had an internship with World Magazine um, and ended up, you know, with the job and shortly after graduation, ended up coming back here to, to start full time on the ground. To your piece, to the piece Famine Threat, it's an urgent situation uh, you reported on there. First, uh, for those that may not have any idea, where is the Horn of Africa? What countries are contained in that locale? Yeah, so it's the easternmost part of Africa, sort of shaped like a horn, <laughs> makes it easy to remember. So right there, you know, the main countries there are Ethiopia, Eritrea, and Djibouti. But um, I mean, for maybe analysis purposes, they're, they're also referred to the larger areas, the greater horn of Africa, and that encompasses more of the eastern part of the continent. So Kenya, um, Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan sort of wrap up into that. So it's sort of across that eastern part of the continent. Okay. And what is, just to kind of give us an introductory sort of idea, what is the nature of the food crisis, the nature of the crisis that you write about? So uh, there's so much going on uh, there right now. Um, and it's, it's, one of those things that you can't just attribute to one thing, it's spiraled. I mean, different people have been calling it a collision of disasters. Um, if you take a step back to like 2019, um, Kenya, for instance, started facing a major locust outbreak, right? And at that point, it destroyed acres and acres and acres of crops, cut across the continent, the eastern region, you know, it hit Ethiopia, um, Uganda, and that happened 
right? And then 2020, we had the, the pandemic and that's when COVID hit. We all know the restrictions that happened everywhere. And it also happened in this region. Um, you know, there were major lockdowns, only essential services could operate. And that affected um, small businesses, right? People who had petty trades, who would originally make some cash and send it to the more rural parts of the country, to their family members there, all that halted for a while. So that already affected um, the economy in a sense. And then the um, war in Ukraine happened. And, you know, for a lot of us, we're watching what was happening in Ukraine and the impact there, but it also hit a lot of these countries. And that's because, um, I mean, for one, a lot of them rely on uh, Ukraine and Russia for mm. their wheat. And so that already caught a major supply. There was scarcity there. And then there was the fuel shortage. And beyond just, you know, affecting tra transportation, we also saw it really um, hurt. We also saw it really hurt how goods were transported. Um, so it's either a situation where some people could not get food anymore or it got super expensive for them. Um, they also relied on Ukraine, too, for fertilizers. And um, I mean, I've spoken to people in northern Kenya and there was a lot of there were a lot of farmers who were complaining that they couldn't farm because they have they had no access to fertilizers. And so that happened. But then um, it's also to keep in mind the larger issue where this is an area that has had four consecutive failed rainy seasons back to back, essentially. And mm -hmm. now they're in a situation where they're facing the worst drought in more than four decades. And as all of this is happening, there's also conflict, right? Um, I mean, the war in, in uh, northern Ethiopia is still going on. The Tigray region, that's still happening. And that has caused a major blockade. Aid can't get in. Medical services can't get in. And so there's a lot of um, hunger in that area as well. So it's, it's really a mix. And then to understand that a lot of people here in, in this part of the world are either um, you know, nomadic cattle herders or farmers. And so when you keep that in mind, it really, you know, puts into perspective why all of these would really affect their source of livelihood. So it, it sounds like it, it's mainly people, as you said, nomadic people, it would be considered in the rural uh, areas, rural regions? Exactly. They're the most affected. Like in Kenya, we're looking mostly at northern Kenya, uh, for instance, the Turkana region. And these are cattle rarers and, and, you know, people who have crops. And so mostly in the rural area. So it's not as um, disastrous in the entire country, like say, I mean, Nairobi is not as affected as Turkana in Kenya. Now, obviously, as you've just explained, this is a drought. There's four consecutive seasons where the the rains are um, much below normal levels. Your article says there's a famine threat. What exactly would qualify as a famine? When, when does it become a full-blown Famine. Yeah. Um, so for um, for a fam for famine to be formally declared, there are certain criteria that must be hit, and the common system that is usually used is called the IPC for short. But it's you know in full, it's the Integrated Food Security Phase Classification System, and so it's it's sort of it ranks um, the situation into five. You know, I mean, getting to the end where it's where you have like crisis or emergency or famine, but to actually declare famine as happening, um, the criteria they use is to check and ensure that at least 20% of households are facing an extreme lack of food. And you would have about 30%, at least 30% of children suffering from acute malnutrition and two out of every 10,000 people dying daily, either from starvation or malnutrition and disease. So, I mean, you have this system, but right now what's happening on the ground across the greater Horn of Africa is 
at least according to the um, World Health Organization, about 31 million people are acutely food insecure. And so if we use the five-point scale, that puts them at phase three. Um, and so that's just one more step away from famine, right? It's just a step away. Um, in Somalia, for instance, um, aid workers are warning that there are two districts that could formally hit famine by the end of this year. Mm. But what we also need to keep in mind is most times before a form, formal farming declaration can be reached, the damage is already extensive. I mean, in 2011, um, the famine that happened across the region, particularly in Somalia, about 260,000 people died. But then, you know, we found that um, before famine was formally declared, about half of those people had already died. And so it's a situation where you don't necessarily want to wait until the formal declaration happens. The idea is to start acting to save as many lives as possible. And so you mentioned the famine in 2011, and I'm, I'm thinking back, uh, th- th- there was a major one in the 1980s in Ethiopia. And it, it sounds like this is the kind of thing that uh, afflicts this region sort of cyclically periodically yeah it's a very it's a it's a dry the climate there is very dry and and i think that's one of the things that's also encouraging you know in things like this we always look for the signs of hope and is also looking into what you know groups are doing to to help these rural communities become more sustainable or more resilient to some of these periodical problems that they face. So instead of just rushing in and providing food and nutrition packs, it's sort of thinking how can they be better equipped to to handle um, some of these things when they happen again. Uh, some kind of education as well as the aid you're saying is, is needed, but is also exactly. going on, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's sort of helping them. I mean, there are some particular communities that some different groups have worked in that are actually, you know, have, have actually been able to weather these struggles a bit better than others. So there's proof that, you know, preparing and educating and providing longer term support actually helps. Well, my guest today on His People is Onise Ohikere, and she is World's Africa reporter. We're talking about the uh, famine threat uh, currently in the Horn of Africa. She's described the countries that are there. What can you tell us, um, Onise, about the 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 aid organizations, the nonprofits, the Christian ministries, who is there, who is helping? I mean, if you can give us an overview. Yeah, I mean, there are multiple. Um, some of the ones I've spoken to, and I can give, you know, based on my conversations with them, um, uh, World Vision. I mean, these are groups that have had a longstanding presence in, in, in these countries. I'm talking Kenya, Ethiopia, Somalia. Um, World Relief is there, World Vision, um, and there's there are also other groups like Project Hope that are also working more on medical support. And so um, what we're seeing is, I mean, in every crisis, right, there's the immediate response, which is more emergency focused. So that's where you have nutrition packs and food supply and, you know, instant medical care. But um, what's encouraging is, you know, a lot of these groups are also thinking longer term. And so what we have is um, groups like Project Hope are training health workers to be able to, local health workers, to go into some of these communities they might not be able to access um, to, to observe this early signs of malnutrition. Um, you have groups that are starting to help people pick up other businesses besides rearing crops, um, sorry, rearing animals or growing crops, like basket weaving and other things, but also in, in their agriculture and farming, um, agriculture and animal rearing, also teaching them newer methods like um, no drip irrigation, mulching, 
um, introducing crossbreeding so they have more drought resistant goats, for instance, um, um, introducing drought resistant crops. And so uh, as, as they're doing these things, um, you know, they're finding communities that are now rearing chickens when they never used to, and they're able to use the money from there um, to, to set up another business and also keep that going. So even if the environment is harsh, um, they're finding ways to still make it work. So in terms of aid workers, um, uh, Christian or otherwise, so you, are we talking thousands of people? Yeah, I'm not sure of the exact number. These are some of the ones I've been in contact with, but mm -hmm. I know for each each group, I mean, I'm thinking uh, World Vision, for instance, they would have a large team, right? They mm -hmm. have, I mean, they would have in the headquarters, but they also have members on the ground. I've spoken to the country manager and they have teams that would go around so, you know, for needs assessment and go through after assessing the needs, provide support. So, if, you know, whatever the total number is, you have groups that are in the communities, you know, assessing the needs and meeting those needs right there. Are they, do you have the sense that these, these at least the, the, the ministries, the nonprofits, are they being adequately funded? Uh, or do they have adequate resources? Uh, any sense of that? Um, so I actually spoke to them because with the war in Ukraine and other crises, there's a sense that a lot of aid is, you know, being pulled out of the region. Mm. And for some of the Christian groups, you know, they're saying, you know, thanks to God, you know, they're not necessarily seeing a withdrawal of support. But what's happening is with everything else going on, inflation and, and you know, scarcity, the prices of goods are also increasing. So whatever funds they would use before is not as sufficient as it used to be. Um, so those are some of the gaps they're having to contend with where, you know, you start thinking, do we move funds from this uh, medium of support to bring it into this emergency? Like, how do we reorganize our support? Well, my guest today on His People is Onize Ohikarian, and she's the uh, world's Africa reporter. We're talking about what is happening currently in the Horn of Africa, the famine threat there. And I I'm wondering, Onize, and I don't know if there's any way to adequately assess this, but how aware do you believe people are of this situation? I mean, people in general, Christians in the U.S., uh, in the Western world. Uh, I mean, World Magazine is covering it, but I'm wondering, is other news media paying attention to this, or, or are people generally not aware of what's happening? Um, so I think it's one of those things where attention is gradually starting to come, but compared to other conflicts going on and the skill, it's still on a pretty low level. I mean, I think it, it was back in March. I'd started following this. A country like Kenya had declared um, th this crisis an emergency a long time back, and mm. there was no attention on that at all. Um, and earlier this year, like I said, in March, people had started sounding the bell, groups like even Food for the Hungry, World Vision, and, you know, they had started sounding the alarm that something major is happening here. And it was until we got to like the middle of this year where the UN cried out, you know, we're going to have an explosion of child deaths if nothing is done. Because you're looking at a country like Somalia, and so far, about 700 children have died from malnutrition hmm. this year. And so the, the scope is really extensive. And and keeping that in mind, it almost seems like the attention is not as much as we would expect. And sometimes, you know, on one hand, you can say it's understandable because there's so much else going on, right? Um, people are wondering how they would be directly affected by the war there. We're dealing with our politics. We're dealing with, we've dealt with the pandemic. But one of the um, people I've spoken with mentioned something so important where it's, you know, and I, that stuck with me. And he said, um, and, and when there's so much happening, you know, it's, it's easy to turn away from the pain. But as Christians, that's not what we're called to do, right? We're called to be stepping towards those in need and not running away. And so for me, that, that's a strong sense of, 
of why, you know, we need to get the story out and, and beyond the numbers, we're throwing out 31 million and phases, but these are real people, mm-hmm. right? These are mothers carrying their kids, work, walking for hundreds of miles. Some would lose some of the kids along the way, leave them behind and keep walking just to get support. You know, there's a father who has had several other kids and considered um, giving one away in child marriage just to provide for the others. And the team from World Vision, you know, asked him, um, why are you doing this? And he simply looked at them and said, give me another option. Mm-hmm. Right. So these are people who are at the end of their line. And, and this is real. Their faces behind these numbers. So the hope is, you know, as more people get to know about it and, and find ways to 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 do something or to respond. And obviously water is a major issue. Are wells being dug? Are there, um, is that a focus of what's what's being done? Yeah, so there are multiple groups that have already dug um, wells a while back. And there's also a focus to, in terms of, you know, we talked about the emergency response. And part of that has been water purification systems. So mm. getting those into communities. So even if they have access to, you know, the surrounding water in certain areas are not clean. They have what they need to purify the water and, you know, prevent major disease outbreaks. So those are sort of the, the responses along that line. Do you feel that the response from the U.S., I mean, is there any way to, to sense the response from the U.S., from believers here, from Christian organizations here, is it? Do, do you feel like it's adequate or is there more that could be done? Uh, I haven't heard a lot of talk about this um, in the U.S. And I'm, I mean, I'm sort of saying that because I know in, in recent months, it's it's sort of jumped to the, to the top of major issues, mm-hmm. but not as much. And so the, the, I think it's it's definitely something that if more people get to know is happening, we would definitely see people do more or pay more attention to, to, to the progress there. What is your hope as as this information gets out? It's in World Magazine. There are some uh, very moving pictures uh, in, in the magazine, I'm sure on the website, uh, as the kinds of things that you just described, families. And they are uh, they are where they're walking to what obviously where they hope help is going to be larger communities, that kind of thing. What is your hope for for how God might use this kind of information in in the lives of those that become aware of what's happening? Yeah, so with with a lot of these stories and, you know, things that are so heartbreaking, the hope is always on one hand to let people realize that, like I said earlier, these are people behind the numbers. These are not just numbers of of another statistic that's being thrown out. So the hope is to first of all realize that there are people who are dealing with this on a daily basis. And then there are two different things, you know, and, and this is a response I would usually get for stories I bring from here, where people are, you know, saying, thank you so much for letting us know, um, you know, your report adds to our prayer list. Like we had no idea people were dealing with this. So that's one, one end of it. And then the other end is to also get involved somehow, right? Um, if it means reading more, talking to people about it, letting people know as you're learning, sharing the information, or if it means learning more about it in, you know, the U.S., not the um, national support to these areas. What's the country funding looking like for some of these conflicts? Um, I've spoken to people who talk about partner churches that are, you know, from the U.S. that are supporting churches in Kenya to do more. You know, learning more about things like that, that's another side of it. And also just, you know, following up with some of these groups, if it means joining their mailing list to also know the latest that's going on in those areas. So there's so many ways to get involved just by, I mean, getting interested and learning more. That's a major step already in the right direction. And it sounds like you you plan to continue covering this, obviously, for World. We can keep track of what's happening through your reporting. 
definitely, I mean, on our website, before the magazine story, I write a newsletter, World Tour, and way back in April, from April, we had started reporting on this there. And so the plan is to still keep following these stories. I mean, we did the magazine story, um, still writing about the war in Ethiopia and highlighting the issues there. And so we we would keep keep sending updates about it. I, I do want to ask you, too, in your piece, uh, people can read it. It's called Famine Threat, An Unprecedented Hunger Grips the Horn of Africa, Impoverished Families Are Running Out of Time. You write in that piece, uh, Onise, about Edgar Sandoval and his World Vision team who have introduced a different kind of crisis intervention uh, beyond food and that kind of thing. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what he and his team are doing? Yeah, and, and um, that's that's the idea of the sustainable response, right? Um, I spoke to him. He was in one of the villages, Nakorio, in, in um, ter- the northern Turkana region of Kenya. And, um, he, you know, he was just, he had just come back from the trip and we we're talking about it. And, you know, he mentioned that the village chief there, and you know, has complained that he has started hearing more fighting from people's homes. And that's, you know, it's, it's, that's one of the impact of these kinds of crises that mm-hmm. we don't pay attention to. We're just like, we're going to give them food and water and they'll be all right. But the, the toll on the family is also another aspect, right? And so they paid attention to that. They've had partnerships with the local churches there. And so they started a program called Celebrating Family. And it's centered on, on the family because the idea is if the family is strong, then the larger community can be more resilient. And so it's, it's, you know, focuses on t- teaching them more about love and unity, um, a Christian-focused livelihood system that involves the couple and the family as a whole planning how to manage their resources, whether it's into businesses or savings. Um, but it also involves talking to them about the difficulties they would face in such such seasons, you know, it's sometimes talking to the fathers about gender-based violence and, and you know, why it's not okay to... to give kids into child marriages. And so a, a, a good way or a holistic way rather to, to sort of address the issues that happen during these times. And so, you know, he talked about some of the families that had um, taken part in the program and, you know, they said things like it's hard, things are still hard, but mm-hmm. we're united now. And and that's, that's it, right? Where it's this, again, the same idea of stepping into the suffering. You're not going there to glamorize it or to make it look picture perfect, but you're finding ways to still, you know, filter that hope in there and let people know that there is a way to, to cope with it. And in, in terms of that hope, uh, with these Christian organizations, I haven't asked you about this specifically, but they're able then to, it sounds like, communicate the hope that they have in Jesus Christ and uh, the hope that he brings eternally as they help people's material needs. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's a two-way thing, really, too, because they're also going into these communities and also observing the very strong social fabric that they, I mean, you find across Africa in general, right? Um, I uh, spoke to, yeah, the, the country rep from World Relief, and he talked about um, one of the communities also in, in, in northern Kenya, where a lady who had been walking for hundreds of miles hoping to find assistance, and she stumbled across this family. I mean, we know the situation. People are barely scraping. Mm -hmm. But they saw her, spoke to her, found out she was also from their hometown, um, and took her in. And it's like, how are you taking someone else in? And they're like, well, we can't let her go hungry. You know, so there's there's also that element Mm -hmm. there already. And even for observers, that's the sign of hope, right? That People are still loving their neighbors like themselves. Um, they're still finding ways to, to keep the family together. And just out of curiosity, as we've talked about aid organizations coming from outside of Africa, are there aid organizations from within the continent that 
might come from another African country to bring some kind of assistance and hope to with the p- countries in the Horn. Yeah, there are groups like that. And you also have the local churches in different communities yeah. are also responding, right? Um, I mean, in, in again, from my conversations with someone from World Relief, you know, they talked about how the the, com- the Christ- church communities, church leaders would come together, create connections with the community chiefs, community leaders, and all reach agreements. And one very simple example really is a situation where things are hard. They had a community center that was really littered, like garbage everywhere. And that church presence in that community was able to get the community together to clean that. If it's another kid who, because of how difficult things are, you know, couldn't go to school, um, the community, again, through the church's support, banded together, and they were able to see him through his education. So even on the ground level, you have these local churches and communities coming together to, to help each other. So that is encouraging, uh, Onise. So there is a, a it sounds like a, a, a strong Christian presence, the Christian church across these various countries. Is that fair to say in the horn that they, there is a, a strong local church presence in these communities? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking more specifically to my knowledge, you know, you have in Kenya, in mm-hmm. Ethiopia, I wasn't able to talk to learn more about that in Somalia specifically, but for those two, for sure, I can say. You uh, are reporting, you live in Nigeria. Is there any news from that part of the world? And I realize our time is very limited, but something you might want to tell us about that Nigeria has been in the news off and on for years. Yeah, northern Nigeria, the persecution still going on there, the attacks um, that has more recent, I mean, initially started with the Islamist insurgency, but has more recently morphed into kidnappings and increased on that level. A lot of kidnappings um, are also going on. Um, I mean, a, a couple months back or years back, a lot of schools had to shut down um, because of how widespread it was becoming. Some of that has eased. Um, but there's still a, there's still a huge sense of, of of the lack of safety in many of these areas. Um, a lot of Christian groups are still facing attacks in their villages and their communities. But same thing, you know, that I would still say that we're seeing in in places like Kenya and Ethiopia, the Christian community is still going strong. You know, they're still helping each other, protecting each other. They're still finding ways to continue to keep their faith alive and, and drawing a lot of strength from that. But that's that's still happening across the north. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest. Onize Ohikere, World Magazine's Africa reporter. Go to wng.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Jason Allen on the leadership principles which transformed his seminary. And so I argue, therefore, that leadership is really pretty simple. Not easy, but simple. It's pretty commonsensical, uh, it's pretty straightforward, and yes, it's, it's spiritual in nature as well. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.